Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to continue where we left off last time. And we are on the portion about Abraham. And remember what he's doing is he's giving us examples of people who have faith. And he's doing this to encourage the Hebrew believers, those who believed in Jesus, not to slip back into Judaism, thinking that they can, they can uh, stay away from, from the persecution that's coming by slipping back into Judaism. Those who have believed in the Messiah, they're already Jews, but slipping back into denial of Jesus to get out of the persecution because he says they're going to end up in Jerusalem and end up being killed. They don't have this option. So he gives them this example of people of faith, and we're in verse 8 of Hebrews 11. And by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. I want to focus specifically on Sarah today. Abraham's wife, Sarah. The New Testament speaks of Sarah quite highly. It says by faith, in verse 11, Sarah herself, not Abraham, but Sarah herself received ability to conceive. She did by faith. Even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. It speaks very highly of her again in, in, uh, in 1 Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 5. 1 Peter 3, 5 says, it says, For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Again, the New Testament speaks very highly of Sarah. So I want you to think about this when we start reading about Sarah in the Old Testament. Because the New Testament speaks very highly of her, we can trust, we can trust that this was an amazing woman. In fact, it says, it's encouraged, the New Testament is encouraging women in the New Testament women today, to follow the example of Sarah. Okay, so let's look at at Genesis now. Genesis chapter 15. So we'll go back and we'll look at the life of of Abraham and Sarah. And we we talked about this last time, but I want want to look at this again. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 4, God comes to Abraham and he's, he's going to say to him, he says, I'm, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, and, and Abraham says, how are you going to bless me? I don't even have a son. Everything's going to be left to, to, the, uh, 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 to, to uh, um, one from Eleazar of Damascus to his family because he was born in my home. But here's what God says to him in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. So this was the first promise to Abram before he was even renamed Abraham saying, Through your own flesh, someone that's going to come forth from your own body is going to be your heir. We know that Abraham came into the land at age 75. So this is beyond that age by a number of years. 
He says, from your own body. So in other words, one of your own offspring is going to become heir. The promise was made to Abraham, to Abram. There was no promise to Sarah. Sarah is not involved in this promise. Nothing to her yet. And then it's just an interesting verse. And then he, he goes on and he talks about all these things that are going to, going to happen. And uh, uh, look down in verse 12 of that chapter. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. Now the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So he, in his blessing of Abraham, in his blessing of Abram, what he does is he, fall, he, he causes a great sleep to fall upon him. And then all of a sudden, in his sleep, there's terror and great darkness. And he says, know for certain your descendants are going to be strangers in a land that is not theirs. So this is the prediction of the Jews going into Egypt for four generations. They're going to be there. He says 400 years in this context in verse 14. And then in verse 16, it says four generations are going to be in Egypt. You say, why would this be part of the blessing? He is blessing Abraham and, and he's, Abram and he says, oh, by the way, there's going to be great suffering in your family. But then after a while, I'm going to bring them out. And what I want to tell you is that is exactly what life is like. Blessing from God is not, oh, everything's wonderful the rest of my life. There are all sorts of things that happen in life. It, it's sinusoidal. <laughs> things go up and down. Things occur that are like this. And there are times that there are hurricanes and there's devastation that occurs. There's family members that get hurt. Life is like this. It doesn't mean that God has stopped blessing you. Life is very much like this. There are things that go up and down. Things are sinusoidal. They go up and down. And then, then he says... This is an interesting verse. In verse 16, Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So in other words, the Amorites were part of the people that lived in that land. They were getting more and more wicked with time. At this time, Abraham is living among them. Abram is living among them and living in great peace. Remember, he's a stranger and an alien in the land. He's staying by the oaks of Mamre. Mamre was an, Am an Amorite, it says. And he was allies, Mamre was an ally with Abram. And Mamre's two brothers, we had read last time how, how they stood with Abram when he had to go and attack these three king, these four kings that had taken his nephew Lot. So there was friendship in the land. This means something to people who live in Israel. It's because you don't live in Israel that this has very little meaning to you. But did you know that there's a lot of conflict between Israelis and Palestinians? You ever heard about that? There was a time that they were living in peace. Abram was the stranger in the land. The land was dominated by non-descendants of, uh, of Abram. And, and, and uh, um, there was peace in the land. God was waiting. He says the, the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. They got so wicked 
that 400 years later he's going to bring in Joshua to destroy the people because their wickedness had gotten so com- so complete. But God is patient. He waited and waited and waited and you can see that. But I want you to see that there was peace between Abram and the Amorites. There was peace and we're going to see more peace between them and there can be peace in that land. Again, it doesn't affect you much because you don't live there. But for, for people who live there, these verses, these texts have great meaning. <clears throat> And then, and then he goes on down in verse 21. Let me point out one other thing. He's mentioning the peoples in the lands that, that are going to be displaced to bring in the, 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 uh, uh, Abram's descendants. And that includes the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. The Jebusite is the people who live in Jerusalem. And this was, even Jerusalem was given at that time and designated in that way. But it was never meant that they shouldn't have peace. Okay, let's, let's turn on over now to Genesis chapter 16. We're going to focus in on Sarah. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai, so Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain a child through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what's good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Think about this situation. A promise comes to Abram. Now, what Christians normally do, they say, Here is where Abram tried to help out God. God made a promise to Abram that you're going to have a descendant. And Abram tries to help out God by, by uh, uh, going into to Hagar. That's the typical Christian teaching about this situation. That's not at all actually what the, what the scriptures portray. And if you speak to Jews, they have a very different view of this that is very much like our New Testament view. That Sarai was a great woman. You say, well, what's going on here? Have you ever heard of a couple where the woman was unable to carry a child? So that an egg was taken from her and, 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 uh, uh, the, there was fertilization that occurred outside the body and then they placed that egg in a surrogate mother and the mother then bears that, that woman bears the child for somebody else. Have you ever heard of that? That happens all the time. I know couples that, that have done that where the woman can't carry a child. She has the ability to, to make eggs, but she can't carry a child. So, so the, the, you, you have this ex vivo fertilization and then it's implanted in a surrogate mother. We accept that because we're used to it. I guarantee you, if you explain that to Abram and Sarai, they'd be like, huh? Are you kidding me? That's so weird. All right. So remember, when you stand outside the context of a culture that's separated by even 50 years, you don't understand it. This is separated by thousands of years. So you say, what's going on here? Sarai knows that a promise has been given to her husband 
that he is going to bear a child. And she knows that she is barren. She can't bear the child. So what does she do? She sacrifices her own position and she says, bring another wife into the home and have a baby through her. And that's why she says, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So she accepted her lot is from the Lord. The Lord has prevented me from having children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. Just as we take an egg and plant it in a surrogate mother, this was the way they did it. This was the way they did it. And it wasn't considered rude or crude or anything about it. This is the way they did it. And from Sarai's perspective, she's just sacrificing of her own position so that God's will can be fulfilled through her husband. This is a woman of great sacrifice. Remember, the New Testament speaks extremely highly of Sarai. Never says, oh, she was trying to help out God and messed everything up. No, not at all. She was quite sacrificial. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. So the surrogate mother has a child, but the mother whose egg it is says, that's my child. If someone from another generation saw that, they'd say, no, the baby came out of this woman, that's the mother. In that culture, Sarai would be the mother. And so it says, after Abram had lived in the land 10 years, so now he's 85. It says he came into the land at 75, he's now 85. And he, years he li- and he lived in the land, became Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife, not his concubine. Abram was, had to take her as a wife. She had full conjugal rights. He could have taken her as a concubine, but he wouldn't do it. He takes her as another wife. She had full rights in the home now. This is what Sarai was sacrificing from being the wife to now having another wife in the home. It's a great sacrifice for a woman. Then it says, he went into Hagar and she conceived. Now, you don't see this like, like Abram going, yes, get this young woman now. And you don't, you don't get this context at all. He is taking her as a wife. And I think Abram's smart enough to know that, that uh, uh, there could be real troubles. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. So now she conceived. She realized she was a wife. And she looks and she is despised now by Hagar. Sarai feels terribly betrayed. And she has been betrayed. She opened up the situation for this woman, and now this woman is trying to usurp her and despising her and looking down on her because this second woman is able to now carry the child. And so Sarai says to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between me and you. You go, whoa, you're the one who gave her. Now, Don't judge this woman by what she's going through at this moment. Think about it. Do you want to be judged by a moment where you lost your temper? Do you want people to see that and judge you by that moment? No, that'd be really hard. 
It says in, in Job 6.26, the words of those in despair belong to the wind. What does that mean? Just let it go. I mean, there are things we all say when we get upset. And we're just glad that not too many people heard us say it. All right? Ask my family members. I mean, they're... I don't look very Christian sometimes. We don't want to be judged, but here God puts it here. Why did He put it on these pages? Why is it here? So that we can see that these are human beings just like us. I mean, this woman feels betrayed and she's just letting it out there. But she's a great woman. Look at how the New Testament views her, praises her. Just follow her example of faith. Follow her example of submission to her husband. Submission to her husband? What about this situation? Well, she had a rough day. Everybody can have a rough day. That happens. It's part of life. We're not supposed to judge our brothers and our sisters by a rough day they've had. We all have rough days. Just remember that we all go through this. And so Abram is like, whoa. You do whatever you want. And I understand that. I mean, when a woman starts getting... You just you just back off. When Shireen puts her hand her, puts her wrists on her hips, it's it's like this move, and says says James tour. I know it's all over. I just give up. I just want to run away. Whatever you want, you know. And and after you you learn really, men, you can learn. You just say yes, dear. Just say, whatever it is, yes, dear. You, you want to use the credit card more? Yes, dear. I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's cheaper than trying to fight this thing. Or else you're going to be paying for counseling as well. Just let it go. This is what Abram's doing. He's saying, yes, dear. Whatever you want. And just let it go. When, when, when a woman is upset like that, just let it go. And that's all he said. And so Sarah treated her harshly and she runs off in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Look at how he addresses her. Now an angel comes to her. So we may say, oh, you know, that was the illegitimate child or something. It wasn't illegitimate. This was his wife. And and, 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 uh, uh, um, God is going to bless this child. This is Abraham's offspring. But look at what, what God's, what the angel says, Hagar, Sarah's maid. He doesn't say, Hagar, Abram's wife. He says, remember your position here. You're still her maid. Yes, you are a wife, but you're still her maid. Where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. We don't know how Sarai was mean to her. It doesn't say she struck her. It doesn't say she beat her. But she, she treated her harshly in some way. So she's run away. And look at what the angel says. The angel doesn't come say, I know you were treated harshly. I'm really sorry about that. Terrible thing Sarai did to you. Just terrible. No, he didn't say that. He said, you go back and you submit yourself to her authority because you are still her maid. 
You come back under authority. One of the best things that I learned as a young man was from a, a, um, was from a, a program that was put together by a nam- man named Bill Gothard. And it was, at the time, it was called uh, uh, the Institute for Christian Youth Conflicts. And, and, uh, um, or s- something like that. And he talked a lot about authority. Let me tell you a little bit about this. If you, if, if you learn how to come, a- come under authority, you can look at passages of scriptures, learning how to come under authority, learning how to submit to authority. It is so powerful. He says to her, you submit yourself to her authority. You submit yourself to her authority. If you have a boss, you submit yourself to their authority. Not that they can abuse you, but you serve them. You may not like them, but they are your boss. I have a chair of my department. The, the chairman of the, my department, he is junior to me in seniority. And I even put his name in to become chairman of the department because I didn't want it. But now that he is the chairperson of the department, he is my boss. He's junior to me in seniority in the department. And I remember when he was an assistant professor and he came through the ranks. But now he's my boss. So I submit to his authority. I don't always agree with him, and I'll tell him. But we talk about it. And generally, he's right. And I tell him that. You know, I, I see from your perspective. I understand this now. So, so you learn to submit to authority. You learn how to do this. Maybe I know more chemistry than him because I've been a chemist longer than he has. But that's not what it's all about. It's positional. And then, I, and then there's a dean over him that is over, also over me, and a provost and a president. And I'm not to speak ill of them because they're my authority. I'm not to speak ill of them. Do I agree with everything they do? No. And I talk to them about it. And we have a relationship. But in the end, they are the authority. You learn how to come under authority and you will be blessed. There is a structure There's a structure in the kingdom of God. Roger, I remember Roger, the pastor, the senior pastor here, when he was a youth pastor. He was my, my two older daughters, he was, he was, he was their youth pastor. He was just this tall kid with a guitar. And, and, and my kids, you know, thought he was, he was really cool because when he'd drive the, the church van and, and he could spit out the window. But he wouldn't spit out the driver's window. He would spit out the passenger's window and it would go in front of the face of the passenger. I mean, that's a cool youth pastor. But that's a youth pastor for you. And so as he was coming up through the ranks, you know, he'd always get together with me and I'd give him a little counsel and stuff. But now he's the senior pastor. So I submit to his authority. And we'll meet together and we'll talk a lot. But in the end, I serve... At the bidding of the leadership, I am under authority, understood authority. All right, so let's let's go on. And then he describes what your what the son is going to be like. He says in verse in verse eleven, the angel of the Lord said to her further, Genesis sixteen eleven. Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you will call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. <clears throat> he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. And uh, uh, in verse 15, it says, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called 
the name of his son whom Hagar bore him, Ishmael. Why did he call him Ishmael? Because Hagar told him, I'd met an angel on the way. He said his name's going to be Ishmael. Your wife says this is going to be the name of the child. <laughs> He's Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him, bore Ishmael to him. So he says he had been 10 years in the land. We know it says, the Bible says he came into the land at, at, at 75. He had been 10 years in the land when this situation take, took place. He's 85. Now, nine months later, he is 86. A, everything makes sense. You see, they're not messed up on counting years. People are all concerned. Oh, what? Back in the Old Testament, the ages were all mixed up because they didn't know how to count years. Let me tell you, they knew how to count years. All right? They knew how to count years. Everything matches up here. All right, now, Genesis 17. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, so he's 86 when the kid is born. He's 99 years old at this point. So he's 99 years old. So this, so Ishmael now is around 13 years old, right? So he's around 13 years old. Abram's 99 years old. The Lord appears to him in, in Genesis 17, verse 1, and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. The Lord appeared to him. Again, there is a relationship with God. There is a relationship with God that we as believers are supposed to have a relationship with God. We won't generally hear the clarity of voice, that we're seeing here, but we're, we're seeing snippets. So we're going from age 80, 85, when he got that other revelation, <clears throat> to now 99. So there could be blocks of years before God is actually speaking with an audible voice that he's understanding in this way. You see what I mean? And there will be seasons in your life where you really feel God speaking to you profoundly. There are other seek, years where we just seek him through His Word, and He speaks to us through the Scriptures. But there is a relationship there. And He says, I am God Almighty, walk before Me and be blameless. Verse 2, I will establish My covenant between Me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. God talked with him, saying, As for... As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And he, and he says, uh, um, let, let's skip on to verse 8. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. Now skip down to a verse... verse uh, um, have you skip down to verse 15. So now he's going to bring up the topic of, of Sarai. Then God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah. So it goes from my princess to princess, meaning that she, and, and you, you shall call her name Sarah, but shall, Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. So remember, 85 is when the promise comes to him. 99, he's now 99, so 14 years later, the promise comes concerning his wife. Not only is it going to be through you, Abram, but it is going to be through your wife, Sarah. 14 years later, Sarah yielded to him, and now the promise is coming to her. She's a great woman, great woman. I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. Look again, look at all the times he's saying, I'm going to bless her, I'm going to bless her. 
You think Sarah was messed up because she lost her temper once? I mean, even Shireen once lost her temper. Once. And it was all my fault. (laughs) Then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of, of peoples will come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who's 99, who's 90 years old, bear a child? It was Abraham who first laughed before Sarah ever laughed. It says, then Abram fell on his face and laughed. We're not talking knee-slapping funny. We're talking the guy couldn't stand. I know people like that. One of my children, he starts laughing so much, sometimes he, he, he grabs onto something. Because he just, he, he, he loses it. He's losing his breath. He can't, he, he can't, can't hold himself up when he starts laughing. This is what Abraham was. And look at the guy, he's 99 and he's busting up laughing. You know, most people who are 99 are old curmudgeons, you know, every complaining about, I don't, I don't want a child. <laughs> I don't want to be a father anymore. No, I mean, the guy has got a sense of humor. He really does. At 99, the guy is busting up laughing. He's really laughing. I mean, it shows you the spirit of Abraham. This guy is laughing. He says, he's going to make Sarah, who's 90 years old, have a child. He is just laughing. He says, I'm going to be a hundred. I'm 99 now. I can count months. At that time, I'm going to be a hundred. He's laughing. Then Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's saying, just, just bless the kid I got. You know, I'm going to be a hundred. I can't, can't get two kids. I mean, it's not easy. I had my kids when I was, in, when I was very young. We, we got married at 22. Our first kid came at 24. And we had four kids. And I'm glad I had them when I was young. I see guys in their 50s having babies. I'm like, how are you going to keep up? You know, I used to crawl through all the things at Chuck E. Cheese with the kids. And I would get stuck now. It's good to have kids when you're younger if you can do it. And that's what Abram's worrying about. He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But he said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, which means he laughs. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. That's when the promise comes. Sarah was a great woman. She had a few outbursts, but so does everybody. But God called this man into relationship. And that's what he calls for us is a relationship. There is a relationship that he calls us into where God speaks into lives. It is generally through the scriptures that he'll speak into your life. And there's a framework in which he speaks to your life. Is love conditional? No. Love is unconditional. He will always love you. But relationship is conditional. You say, why is that? Because there's a framework to it. Everything has conditions. If you want something to float, you have to build it in a certain way. Airplanes don't float. They they generally don't float very long. Boats don't fly. You build things according to specifications for what you need them. There are relationships that are built according to specifications. There's a framework for a relationship. And a relationship means that you have time together. You take time in the morning to spend time with God. I know you're very busy. No one's more busy than a student. But you spend time with God and there will be a relationship. Because relationship is conditional. It's conditional. 
upon spending time together. This man had a relationship with God. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray for these young people that in the name of Jesus you would so get a hold of their hearts and you'd so work upon their hearts to walk with Jesus. Father, that they would get to know you and have a relationship. And Father, that they would see that there's a whole human side to this just because somebody's had an outburst of anger. That Father, that you can do great things through a life. Great things. Father, that you call Sarah great. And you call her a submissive wife that, 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 that is even one we're to, we're to emulate. Father, I pray for these young people that you would so work and move in their lives that they would understand something about authority. Authority in the whole structures in their lives as they, as they work and in their careers. Father, that they would understand that. That they would understand in the body of Christ and in the church. Father, that you would call them to this. That they would understand authority and then in that experience the blessing of God. Father, build a relationship there that there would be time spent with you. Lord, let them start this semester right, I pray. Your grace be upon them and protect them. And Father, for those that are going to go to Cross Point tomorrow to help out more of these families and fixing up homes, and Father, I pray that you bless and protect them from all harm. Your grace be upon these young people. In the name of Jesus, amen.